how should we be thinking about AI? What are your thoughts about what's coming, how we can think about it, and what we ought to do about it? It's such a big question. Um, it is. And so, yeah, the scope of AI is so, um, it's so massive. It's not even just this simplistic, like, this is how we need to, you know, respond to it. It's, um, it's one of these things that's fundamentally changing just the way that we exist. It's fundamentally changing humanity, all right? Some would say that uh, human history is over. Um, and now the new history is a, a human and, and AI history where we're going to be combining forces and, and you know, the old way is gone. And so what I would say in terms of the, the proper context for this is, you know, when we think about AI, something is fundamentally radical in the shifts that are going to be happening. It's, it's not coming, it's here. Um, it's going to stay and it's going to fundamentally change basically all of the assumptions that you have on the way things are supposed to be. Get ready to to question those assumptions and uh, be open to different types of perspectives that might that might challenge that. Welcome again to another Let's Talk. Today we've got uh, one of my favorite guests. Uh, Jim has been here a couple of times in the past. He is a very interesting and thoughtful guy, and I thought it might be very interesting for all of you to listen to what he has to say on the topic of AI. And this is certainly on everybody's mind, uh, especially here locally in Los Angeles, where uh, SAG-AFTRA uh, went through a, an enormous uh, work stoppage to uh, address, among other things, this issue and how it affects the entertainment industry. But it's certainly gonna affect everybody and everybody's got lots of questions, fears, doubts, that kind of thing. So I thought that's what we might talk about today with Jim. He happens to have a new book coming out after the first of the year. It's called Understanding Why. He'll talk a little bit about what's going to be in that book. And Jim is an executive coach who helps leaders in every industry just become better at what it is they have to offer. This is a really cool guy, and I always enjoy talking to him. So uh, without further ado, uh, welcome, Jim Frawley. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I always love conversations with you. They're always fun. I always, you, you get me thinking, I think, just as much as you want me to get people to think. So this is this is fun. I like it. How should we be thinking about AI? What are your thoughts about what's coming, how we can think about it, and what we ought to do about it? That's such a big question. Um, it is. It's so yeah, the scope of AI is so um it's so massive. It's not even just this simplistic, like this is how we need to, you know, respond to it. It's um it's one of these things that's fundamentally changing just the way that we exist. It's fundamentally changing humanity. All right. Some would say that uh human history is over. Um and now the new history is a, a human and, and AI history where we're going to be combining forces and and you know, the old way is gone. And so what I would say in terms of the, the proper context for this is, you know, when we think about AI, something is fundamentally radical in the shifts that are going to be happening. It's, it's not coming, it's here. Um, it's going to stay and it's going to fundamentally change basically all of the assumptions that you have on the way things are supposed to be. Get ready to, to question those assumptions and uh, be open to different types of perspectives that might, that might challenge that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when ChatGPT uh, debuted, it was kind of the first time that people had a really hands-on um, look at um, this conversational aspect of what it could do. I mean, we were all dealing with it 
in the past through you know Google Maps and you know and that kind of thing. But that, that was that was a little less clear what it is that this thing could do on a on a personal basis. I think the very first comments and conversations I had with people starting a year ago were all fear-based. Mm -hmm. And that, that was kind of the first reaction, um, which kind of surprised me. The reactions weren't, oh my God, look at this great new thing and what it's going to do. Most of the reactions were, oh, oh my God, what is this going to do to disinformation and my ability to be able to figure things out? Can you talk a little bit about the human reaction to this, these early stages of what we're seeing in these products? Yeah. The cool thing about ChatGPT was it was the first time like we could really touch it. AI was always around, right? You said Google Maps and it was giving you directions and all these types of things, the best way to go with traffic. And I mean, that's AI. It's it's a it's a different form of intelligence. It's filtering through a lot of data and giving you the best course of action based on its, you know, calculation and algorithms and everything else. So AI has been around, but it's always been in the background. And, you know, it's you don't really look at how the sausage is made. You're just happy that you get a faster way to navigate through the city and everything else. And, and that's fantastic. Now that people can use it, it suddenly feels a lot more real when you see how quickly things can happen. And, and right now, AI is, you know, there's a fear of AI because we imagine, we don't know where it's going to go. We just don't know what's what's next. And there's a fear of the unknown. We're uncomfortable with what we don't know. And so familiarity is a very important aspect of this for anybody who's looking to kind of worry about where AI is going to go. We have to familiarize ourselves with it. This is a whole new way of thinking, a, no, a whole new way of approaching. And so when we get to chat GPT, we're able to say, wow, this can actually make things a lot easier, right? You know, what's my meal plan for the week? Or I need to write an article, give me an outline. And, and you put your personal stamp on it. But it, it really, it's unsettling because a lot of the things that we do, we do things because they're comfortable. Like when, when you think about work, you know, you push paper around or you just do busy work at home or something like that. And it's there's comfort to that because you're not really it's not cognitively taxing. It's not, you know, particularly difficult. AI and ChatGPT will take care of all that for you. So now you're left with, you know, we get into these routines, everything is done for us and it's always been done for us in these different types of ways. Now we're, we're getting back almost in this full circle. Now we have to figure out how to think and we have to relearn how to think. And I, I think we're going to see a very large, and this is why I wrote the book, is there's going to be a very massive push, push towards philosophy you know, why are we doing the things that we're doing and what is important and what is true? What is truth? And then it's we've never had to think about these types of things before. You know, we, we had things with COVID where people got into their personal reflections and they're stuck with their own thoughts. But now that we don't have answers and we start to want more answers because the easy answers are already done by AI. How do we challenge that and elevate that? And how do we take that simple AI kind of focus and, and bring it up? into more of a human understanding and more of a, a um, you know, why are we here kind of um, debate and discussion and, and curiosity, which is very exciting. It's a big change to, to the way that, you know, you and I have grown up and, and we've done things in the past. I agree. I would have a feeling that the same kind of effect on uh, brain development may happen as happened with the iPhone. If it was at 2007, I think, or 2008, if you were eight years old at that time, when the thing happened. And now this became kind of part of just the way you think about things. And of course, everybody older said, oh my gosh, it's going to have a deleterious effect. You don't have writing skills. You don't have spelling skills. You don't talk to people face to face and all true, but yet 
another thing emerges, not necessarily worse, maybe not better, but certainly very different in terms of the way people think. Is it your opinion that something analogous to that is likely to happen, especially with younger people, with the introduction of AI into the mainstream? Yeah, absolutely. But it goes back to what are the assumptions we make, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we assume that you have to know how to spell everything correctly. But if you know the computer is going to do it for you, it doesn't really matter. I personally think it does, right? I mean, we want to be smart and we want to be capable, but but what's interesting is if we revisit, you know, what makes us uniquely human. Um, and you talk about writing skills, is you know what? Find someone, let the computer write the story, but you still have to know why the story has to be written, and you're the person, you know. So so we're elevating our thought, and we're elevating, you know. Well, if it could just write that while that's writing it, and it writes it in ten seconds. I now have what would have taken me two hours. Where's my mind going for those next two hours? How do I explore that more? How do I take that and go deeper and question more and ask different types of questions? AI is not at the point where it's going to think for us. It will collaborate for us. It will collect information for us, but you still have to queue it up in a certain type of way so that you can get what you want. And so um, they said the same thing about phones. They said the same thing about video games. They said the same thing about you know everything, but the world will continue to evolve and we will still continue to be human, but our priorities and what's relevant and what's important and how we use it is going to change. The context has changed. So now we have to filter, well, the context has changed. What really matters? And how do we get into what really matters? And you hear about it in colleges all the time. You say, well, you can't write papers anymore because they're just going to use AI. Well, maybe you don't use, what's the point of a paper? Yeah. The point of a paper is to show you understand something. So maybe you do a verbal exam or something like that, right? So we have to think about what really matters. What's the point of doing all of these things that we've done in the past has a reason, but we have to understand why that reason is and then go from there. I like that way of thinking so much. One of the authors I've been reading uh, a lot lately is a guy named uh, Donald Westlake. And he recounts a story of when he was writing when he was 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. He wrote a story and it was kind of like a Noah's Ark story about aliens coming to earth and taking two of every species and that kind of thing. And, and he wrote it and he showed it to his dad. The dad said to him, why did you write this? And, you know, he was kind of taken back. Well, what do you mean, why did I write it? I wrote it because I, I want to get it published in a magazine. You know, I want to make money. I want to get famous. I want to, no, the dad said, no, that's not why you wrote it. He said, if, if you go back and, and think about the stories I read to you when you were a little kid, Greek mythology and that kind of thing, stories all had a moral. You know, it wasn't about the story. The moral was what was important. So he said to him, why did you write this? He hadn't thought about that. He didn't know what that was. And he said it kind of wrecked the joy of writing for him for a few years because this little worm in his head was saying, well, why am I writing this? You know, what, what am I getting to? And, and he thought it was, it was a really good process to go through at that stage to say to himself, why am I spending my valuable creative energy doing this. And I think that that goes to kind of your point of writing a paper. Like, why are you writing the paper? It's not to write a paper. That's not the reason. Writing the paper is kind of the form currently it takes in order to do this kind of thing. I'm not sure everybody's completely aware of that while they're going through that process. And boy, this is an opportunity with this product that's going to write the paper for you to say, well, okay, the reason is not to write the paper because the robot can write the paper, right? Right, right. And there's, you know, when we think about creative output, it's such a fundamentally human thing. And, and you know, I think when I wrote my first book, wasn't to just write a book, even though I always wanted to write a book. I found later that it was more about 
getting reflective and answering questions for myself. And it was more about, you know, what questions am I asking myself and what questions do I need to answer? And whether it's, you know, with music, whether it's with writing, whether it's with acting there, we always have this kind of creative, this need for a creative output. And it's not necessarily just the art. There's a reason we do art. There's a reason we do these things. And generally it's internal. You know, what would happen if I put these two things together and let's see what, what makes it, Ooh, that sounds beautiful. Or that, that reads so nicely. And so we always have to remember, and this even in corporate, right? You said, why are you doing the work you're doing? Right? It's this idea of purpose. It's why are we here? What is, you know, what is consciousness? So we can get really philosophical really quick. Um, but we do these creative pursuits because we have this need to go out and do something and create something that we could be proud of. And AI, when you think about it that way, AI is just supplemental to that. It's meant to help you do that and, and to create more for whatever it is that, that you're looking to do. Well, I like that because that puts a kind of a quantifier on the fear factor. I'm a jazz musician. I come from a jazz background and I was a, a big fan of Miles Davis when I was coming up and studying. I still am, of course, you know. But as jazz was, was developing in the 50s, it was getting more and more sophisticated that the guys that were playing were seeking more and more complex harmony to improvise on. And mm -hmm. The more complex it was, this, this, the more fun it was, the harder it was to do, the more challenging it was, the more it like it, it got to your very being of how can I navigate this complex thing? And then Miles comes into a recording session once and he takes away all the harmony and he brings in a tune. It's called So What? It's got two chords in it. Two, you know, previous thing at, you know, a hundred chords or something like that. And he brings it into these heavyweight guys, John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, heavyweight improvisers and says, you only have two chords. That's all you can do. You know, and it was like, again, challenging the assumptions of, well, I thought what we were doing is getting ever more sophisticated. And now you've gone backwards. You've, you've taken it all away. And Miles was brilliant enough to say, the complexity is not the essence of what we're doing here, the essence of what we've got something to say. And if I can pull the rug out from under you guys and now, okay, now without all of that foundation that you said, you still got to come up with something brilliant here. And I, I, I see a little bit of, of the emergence of AI in that kind of approach. Yeah. I, you know, there's, as things get faster and more chaotic and, and complex, which AI is adding to, right? Because everything happens at speed. There is, I think, this, this desire, a human desire also for simplicity. And when we think about priorities and what's important and do we have to go, we can test ourselves physically, but at a certain point, you're as physical as you're going to get. And then we test ourselves mentally and we tax ourselves in these kinds of ways. Sometimes it's just the most simple things. And I just spent a weekend up in at Walden Pond for a little like quiet, reflective weekend. So all about simplicity, channeling Thoreau as best I could. And I realized, you know, as we think about AI, and I, I deal with a lot of clients on this, you know, how do I navigate work or how do I navigate anything with, with so much change that I don't know what change it's going to be? We have this indifference on a lot of things. We have this uncertainty. There, there are problems and there are circumstances, problems you could solve, circumstances you're responding to. And AI is a circumstance. It's not a problem you're going to solve. And so how, when you think about, you know, how do I frame and respond? The most simple way to do it is what do I care about? What are my priorities? And everything goes through that lens to say, all right, I've got my priorities in step. 
Now, how do I respond to the circumstances that are going on around me, whether it's AI or, or whatever it is? Um, and so simplicity, I think, is a very important component of navigating all of this AI is, you know, you can do everything, but you don't necessarily want to do everything. You don't have to do everything. And so how do you simplify it in a, in a really meaningful way? The fear component of uh, disinformation and deep fakes and being able to figure out when you're seeing something, is this true? Did this guy really say it? Has it been manufactured? Is it really John Lennon's voice? What, what do we do about that in terms of how do we how do we think about that? Yeah, it's you know what's challenging is everything's been done for us for so long. You see a news article and how many people just jump online and say, well, what am I supposed to think about this? Or you watch the news and you're told what to think about it. And you're, you know, you tune into your Fox News or your MSNBC or whatever, and they tell you what to think about it. A lot of the work is going to be, you know, what's what is true, but beyond just whether or not a fact is true, it's what do we believe? And there is a lot of the executives I work with, we're working on building almost your belief system. And you cannot believe something and know something at the same time. And so exploring your belief system, and I don't think you can have a belief system unless you can understand why somebody would believe something different. And so objectivity and subjectivity are very important. But how do we flex that, that belief muscle into saying, you know what, we don't know if this is true or not. It's almost irrelevant. You know, why am I defending something that's just a belief? A belief isn't something that should be defended. It's a it's a moment of curiosity. It's, you know, and I choose to believe this based on the information that I have. And a true and robust belief system is something that's dynamic over time. Your beliefs are going to change over time. And so being curious about asking really good questions, real questions that, that um, have no judgment attached to them. All of these are going to be, this is a new skill set that people are going to have to learn. It's part of thinking. It's how do we think and, and how do we debate and how do we ask questions that are curious about another person's point of view? It's not about being right or wrong. It's about understanding other people's perspectives to inform your belief system so that you can have, you know, most things are not facts. Most things are just beliefs and point of views and everything else. Um, and so how do we establish just this belief system that's based on curiosity that will evolve over time based on the more people that you meet and the, the more perspectives that you take. Maybe it's okay if the thing that I believed was less than accurate. And can I be okay with, well, I said that last year, but now I'm moving to something else because I'm more informed. Seems to me that maybe AI could serve us in a good way if we adopt that model of the way that we're gonna think about the world. AI is going to accelerate what we know at this immense and crazy speed. They just discovered over a million new crystals, which is going to have major impact on how solar panels are made. Like everything's related in these wild ways and, and the speed of it is so unsettling. We're about to open up whole new levels of connections and information that's uh, going to be very uncomfortable for people because they're holding on to these beliefs as if they're truths and beliefs are not truths. Um, there are very few truths in the world. And so when we we start to frame our belief system into this way of something that's evolving because we've got more information and, oh, that's interesting. And um, is the person giving this to me trustworthy, right? There's there's all kinds of trust and and belief and and accuracy and and continued questioning. It's it's again, it's it's a lot of work for for people to do, but it's going to be a necessary part of it. And how do we surround ourselves with people who trust and think that kind of way about what's possible and, and maybe this isn't correct. And it's fascinating when you look at some of these people and what they're thinking about, you know, does an electron even exist? 
right? And you and I'm watching some of these, you know, documentaries and and interesting things about, you know, do we live in a box? Like, um, are we in a simulation? It's fascinating because you can't prove it wrong. And so when you sit there, well, I can't prove it wrong, but I don't necessarily believe it or do I believe it? And it's, you know, this is all internal reflective stuff that you have to answer for yourself. Nobody can tell you what to believe. You have to actually do that work. And we've been trained since we were born. This is what you're supposed to believe. This is what you're supposed to say. This is what, you know, this is, you know, what we do and why we do it. And scratching that record is a difficult process, but a necessary one is part of becoming an adult. It's part of growing up to say, you know what, what am I, what am I actually preaching? What am I actually saying and doing? And do I believe it? Being humble enough to know that your beliefs are very much going to change over time and should change uh, is, is such a, an important part of evolution. And I, I think this speaks directly to the level of uncomfortableness that most people have about this, this technology here is it's forcing them into that corner. That's really what we ought to be embracing in terms of or figuring out the steps to be able to embrace this. The speed is a real challenge with it because we're moving so quickly and not just about the speed of AI, but the speed of the way information overload happens. Yeah. People make judgments without full context. So you could be on one side of the political spectrum or whatever, and then just say, oh, let me ask this question. And then you're just slaughtered because people are making assumptions based on what their perspective is without fully embracing your, your context. And so there, I, I think we'll see less of just this public facing kind of, let me just put everything out there and more of, let me find just a local community of people who can challenge my thinking and I, where I'm, I'm creating a space where I can actually say, you know what, let me question this. What do you think about this? And have that discussion that really shouldn't be on an open forum necessarily because people aren't really open to it at such a large scale. It's a very different way of operating. Now on the technical end, do you see a future in more bespoke kind of products where the information that this thing would be trained on would be narrowed? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be very bespoke. I think it's going to happen very quickly because people are already using it in very specific ways. Um, create an AI to go around and hack everyone's bank account or something like that. And that's all the AI does 24 seven. It just always constantly tries to do that. <laughs> I think we're going to have, um, I mean, AI is going to be your personal assistant. And it's going to be, you know, I know you want this kind of information. So let me filter. Let me, it's not so much what you need to be aware of. It's also what you need to ignore. And it's going to filter things out, um, which we're already starting to see with like, you know, Google's kind of doing this for you. But I think we're going to build bespoke systems that are customized to whatever we need. Run me this business plan. I want you to be my business advisor. And then I'll have another AI potentially say, I want you to be my home security system, right? I want you to monitor my, my modem and make sure nobody's hacking me and everything else. And you're my personal security AI. I know businesses are talking about putting AI on their leadership teams and having an AI, no, no human there, just an AI on their leadership teams. That's the AI component to question our business strategy and everything else. So AI in such a broad sense, yes, there are language learning models. Yes, there are different things that it can do. But um, very soon, we're going to be seeing it taking action for us, where it can be doing things for us. Everything's connected in our house. Um, you know what, you know, I'm walking up, you can read my car keys, walking up to the house to turn the lights on, like everything's going to be your AI kind of personal assistant is going to be there. Um, and, and we're going to have to train it so that it gives us exactly what we want. We're going to have to challenge it and expand it to give us, um, these types of things that we really want. And, um, it's going to have to serve us. And that's one of the things that AI, we're going to have to teach AI and learn how to make AI serve us in some kind of way so that we can continue to do the things that we wish to do. That kind of process is way beyond what I know how to do. It's 
certainly a newer world from even 15 years ago in terms of what we were what we're seeing with the dawn of social media i mean most people that i talk to they are more troubled than excited about it and i think that that's unfortunate well there's also a fear of being left behind yeah right there is this yeah. fear of being left behind that the world is evolving in some way and i'm supposed to be doing something and i don't know what i'm doing as humans we're inclined to take action yeah and so you think that you have to be doing all these things and you really don't have to be doing much. I mean, the only thing I would say to people is just familiarize yourself with it. Hop into ChatGPT, have it make you a meal plan or ask it a question and kind of learn. Um, have it replace your Google and have a conversation with it. Ultimately, when we think about, you know, you don't have to learn know how to write code because AI will do it. You could just go to these AI systems and say, build me my website and it will be done, right? And so it, it's kind of nice, but you still have to know how to ask the question. You still have to know what you want the, the system to do and how you want it to serve you. And- Really, if there's anything that you want to do, I will almost guarantee you there is an AI component to make it easier. Yeah. And you just have to find it and just do it. Um, I want to take this 30-minute video. I want to turn it into clips. I want to um, edit this paper. How would you say it better? Um, give me comments on my speech, right? There are these, the Udly app. I can upload my speech and it'll come back and give me commentary on it as if a coach had watched it and said, this many filler words and your eye contact and everything else. So it's all there. It is. I find in, in the uh, the little bit of usage that I've done over the past year, one of my reactions to when I ask it to do a task, what I get back is something that's usually pretty good, but I can see that it's full of holes. This is a good thing because it says, ah, that's what's wrong with this. And it stimulates my brain to say, okay, now what I have that it doesn't have is the ability to say, I know that's what I asked you, but you know what? That's really not what I really was asking. And now I'm a little clear on what I'm asking. And it's a good reminder that your perspective is what's so valuable. You know, when I was writing the TED Talk, I wrote it and it, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I used ChatGPT and said, write me a TED Talk on how to prepare for change when you don't know what change is coming. And it wrote up, you know, it wasn't anything I would use. But as I read it, I was like, you know what? I should touch on that point. I should touch on that point. I should touch on that point. And you take that out and you say, all right, this is my perspective on this. This is my perspective on this. This is my perspective on this. We operate in such a narrow vision sometimes that it expands that vision a little bit and say, you know what? Let me piece this together in a different kind of way. I like this flow or yeah. I like this thought, um, but my perspective is what's valuable. That's what makes you interesting. You can use AI to kind of help you form these different ideas and, and different perspectives. Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway passed away recently. And this is a guy, I mean, I think he was he was born in 1924 or 25 or something, you know, way before any technology. But, you know, he was, he was thinking in these terms of, you know, don't accept everything that's accepted and said all the time and a strong enough guy to be able to say that. And the fundamentals are always going to be there. Yeah. Right? And I think that's what, what Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are always, you know, they didn't get involved in technology because they didn't understand it, but they understand the Coca-Cola business. Like they were always kind of that way. And and a business will always run, right? You've got revenue, you've got expenses, you've got all of these types of things. And there are fundamental things when you're looking at investing or anything else, everything else is almost just a distraction. Yeah. Right? And and most change is just a distraction. And it's what's important to focus on is is what's important to remember. And um, just as important in that is is what's so important to ignore. And we could cut this out. And once you find your system, you're able to, to navigate a, a little bit more easily. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Jim. When is this going to be available, first of all? Uh, I'm shooting for the first quarter. If I can finally get you know everything edited and done in the right, um, uh, certainly before March. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect in the book. It's, it's almost a framework. Well, it's not almost. It is a framework on building your particular belief system or philosophy. 
And so it was really born out of a lot of the executives I work with talk about leadership. They talk about all these theoretical things, um, but there's no real meat to it, right? We're, we're told how to be a leader. We're told how to do these things, but we don't really know why. When we're dealing with things like AI, we're dealing with, with such crazy levels of change. What gives us an anchor, what gives us comfort is having a belief system in place to write. When you have a belief system in place, you recognize where you fit and how it can evolve. And it's almost like flowing like water because most things are just circumstances that you're responding to and beliefs are going to change and your priorities, you know, find your priorities and ask yourself the five whys and why is that a priority? Why is that a priority? And this is meant to put you through that through a series of prompts. We'll go through each week of the year and, and we'll give you different types of prompts that you can ask uh, to help you form almost a personal philosophy or belief system that will help you as you're leading a team or as you're interacting with your community or, or anything else. And there's plenty of philosophy books out there. But what I found in a lot of the philosophy books I've read is this is what the Stoics thought, or this is what the, here's some Toltec wisdom, or here's this. It's more of a report out of the way that they thought and you're meant to internalize it. So why not ask you questions that will help you formulate this thought to, to put you on that, that similar type of path. It sounds fascinating. And, and do you have any uh, final wrap-up thoughts on the topic of AI and how our viewers can better embrace what's coming here? Years ago, I read an article. This was like 15 years ago about AI. The guy's name was Werner Vinge, who said, we are on the precipice of change similar to the evolution of life on Earth. I can't understate how massive this is going to be. But at the same time, everyone's going to be fine. What I would say is just familiarize yourself with it, embrace it. It's here to stay. It's going to change everything, but you're going to be okay. Those are great thoughts, Jim. I, I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this in the coming year. I look forward to continued conversations as more of these products come out and, and the specifics of them and we get our hands on them and maybe we'll have more questions and that kind of thing. It's going to be fun. Well, Thanks, Jim. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's, it's always a pleasure to hear your point of view on things. Perspective is everything, right? I mean, that's the, your, your value is your perspective. That's and, true. And, well, thanks, Jim. It's always a pleasure to chat. Thank uh, you so much. I love I, it. I look forward to our next one. And for those of you watching, thanks again for taking the time. We hope you've enjoyed what Jim has to say. And we look forward to seeing you again. We've got some other great guests lined up and we hope you'll tune in to our future episodes and we'll be sure to let you know when they are. So thanks again. I'm Tom Rizzo, founder and managing director of Plectrum Advisors, a wealth management firm based in Los Angeles. And uh, we'll see you soon.